Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As we get into what the Holy Ghost has for us tonight. On Wednesday night for the last month or so, we've been talking about the extravagant love of God. We've been looking at the love of God throughout the Scripture in multiple different ways. And I believe it's been transforming us. So we can look at it from another part tonight. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 9. And this was manifested or showed or made plain the love of God towards us. So this is how God made plain his love for us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Say, live through him. So it's not just God loved us so he sent his son. God loved us so he sent his son that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. We don't love God because we came up with a good idea. Yep, I should love God. We love God because he first loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. God loved us, so he sent an atoning sacrifice. What's an atoning sacrifice? It's the sacrifice that pays for your sins. The sacrifice that pays for your sin. Because God loves you, he sent a sacrifice to pay for your sins. Now, if you're at a restaurant and someone pays for your meal, do you still have to pay for it? Why? It's already been paid for. God sent a sacrifice to pay for your sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. And he did it because he loved you. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages or the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent his son to pay for our sins. The debt has been paid. Your sin caused you to have a debt with God. Jesus came to wipe away the debt. The word forgiveness is a financial term. He came to cancel your debt towards God. So that you and God have a clean slate to the point you do not owe God anything. And that's not religious to say. People say, oh, I owe God everything. But scripturally, Jesus came to pay your debt so you don't owe anything. Why? Because he loved you. So because he sent Jesus to pay your debt, to pay for your sins, listen to the statement. Your sin is a non-issue with God. Your sin is a non-issue with God. People think God's biggest problem is sin. No, it's a non-issue with him because he sent Jesus to pay for it. This doesn't mean you just sin because you can, but you can live with a different mindset. 
1 John 4, 9, once again, says he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. We are to live through him knowing that he paid for our sins because he loves us. We can never forget this. No matter how far advanced and mature we become, we can't forget this simple truth. When we see that Jesus shed his blood in Scripture, we have to mentally say, because he loved me. Every time we see the blood of Jesus was shed, we have to say, because he loved me. You will see it a lot in John's writings and in Paul's writings. When you see he loved us and shed his blood. Or he loved us and gave himself for us. Or he loved us and washed away our sins. They say it often. It's equal. Because he loved you, he washed away your sins. So every time you see something about the blood of Jesus in Scripture, you should have in your mind that happened because he loved me. Everything the blood did is because Jesus loves you. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Notice what Paul says. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. What does that phrase mean? God gives righteousness to the person who doesn't work for it. You can't work enough to become righteous. That's the whole thing the law taught you. There's nothing you can do to become righteous. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. He's talking about us. And whose sins are covered. Amplified Classic Edition, I believe, says covered and buried completely. So David says, blessed is the person who God takes their sins and covers it so you can't see it anymore. This is the greatest thing David can think of. Think about David. He walked with God. He was a man after God's own heart. But he screwed up royally. He paid for his sins. What it did to his family. What it did to his generations. And so think about David's mindset. Man, do you know who's really blessed? The persons who God forgives and covers his sins so you can't see it anymore. But it goes on and says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So David, this greatest mindset is, man, it's awesome if this could ever happen. If God could cover somebody's sin so that you can't see it anymore, that God won't see it anymore, that's amazing. Jesus did you one better. Revelation 1.5 says he washed it away. Your sins are not covered. They ain't there no more. You're not an old sinner saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Now, this word impute means to count against. God is not counting your sins against you. It means to ascribe or to attribute or regard as belonging to someone. What does that mean? You may mess up. You may sin. God sees your sin, but do you know what he says? It doesn't belong to you. 
I'll say it again. You sinned. You messed up. You did it. But in the eyes of God, it doesn't belong to you. Think about the amazing love of God. Religion told us you're a screw-up. God says it ain't yours. People say, that's your sin. You're a sinner. God says, that ain't you. Why? Let's see what the Scripture says. Verse 23 of Romans chapter 4. Now, it was not written for his sake or Abraham alone that it was imputed to him. Because it says in the Scripture in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was accounted or imputed to him as righteousness. Abraham was made righteous because he believed. He didn't follow the law. The law wasn't here yet. He believed God and God said, you're righteous. But this was written for our sake also. To whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Just like Abraham, we believe God and God says we're righteous. Righteousness is your standing. Nothing you can do can mess up your standing. You didn't work to get that standing. All you did is believe. The moment that you believed in Jesus, the moment you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you said with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you became righteous. You will never be any more righteous or less righteous than you are right now. You didn't work for it. You just believed. Say, I believe for it. But then Paul goes on and says that he died for our sins and for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. Remember, this is what the blood of Jesus did, so we need to put in our mind God did this because he loved us. But what does the word justification mean? It is the action of declaring righteous. But I also saw, found another definition for justification. Acquittal. Acquittal. Jesus was raised from the dead to give you an acquittal. What does that mean? A judgment ruling that the person is not guilty. Jesus shed his blood and died because he loved you to wash away your sins. He got up to say they're not guilty. Wait a minute. You are guilty. You sinned. You did this. You did that. You remember what you did. Jesus said they are not guilty. Remember, God does not count your sin as your own. He loves you so much, he sent Jesus to pay the price, get up again and say, they are not guilty. You're not guilty. That means you have to get rid of your guilt. Let me tell you another way. You don't have a right to be guilty anymore. You don't have a right to carry your guilt. Why? It's not yours. You've been acquitted. All your crimes against heaven. Acquitted. Gone. Washed away. Because he loved you. We have to let this revelation of the love of God get so strong that we actually believe it. That, because people say, oh yeah, God loves me, but you have a picture in your mind. He's about to zap me. But he, you can think that if you think you're guilty. You don't zap an innocent person. You don't judge a person that's been acquitted. You don't punish the person who's innocent. When you read Isaiah 53, you see that 
God punished Jesus. Why? So he wouldn't have to punish you. He said, well, there's still judgment in the earth. Christians are still judged all the time. Christians still pay for their sins all the time. That's true. But why? Go to 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11, verse 31. In context, Paul is talking about the church at Corinth. If I ever do a verse-by-verse study on the book of Corinth, I'll probably call it church gone wild because they went wild. And things that you won't even imagine, they got straight crazy. And so they got into such sin that Paul said, many of you are sick and weak and are asleep or you have died prematurely. What happened? That was judgment. The wages of sin is death. This is a Holy Ghost-filled church. This is a prosperous church. This is not just a church that's full of the Holy Ghost, have gifts money. This is a church that got money. But now they're starting to get sick, even though the gifts of healing are working. They're starting to get weak, even though the power of God's there. People are starting to die early and going, what is going on? This is a faith church. It's a Holy Ghost church. What's going on? So Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost. Because of how you judged each other, how you didn't rightfully judge the body of Christ and all your offense and all your division, you're dying early. You're sick. You're weak. But what did he say was the solution? 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be what? Everybody's afraid of this judgment from God. Paul said, judge yourself, you won't be judged. Why? Because God doesn't want to judge you. He wants to stop all of your harvest from your sin from coming to you. But because of how we live, how we think, and how we believe, we welcome sin and its results all the time. But God doesn't want you to experience it. So he says by the Holy Ghost, if you judge yourselves, you won't be judged. Say, if I judge myself, I won't be judged. Say, if I judge myself, I won't be judged. So how do you judge yourself? Go to 1 John chapter 1. This has all been made available because he loves you. This is how you get acquitted in the court of heaven every time. This is how you stand innocent in the court of heaven no matter what just happened. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7. First John, thank you. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, a partnership one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, remember, First John is written to believers. So these are believers who've messed up. These are believers who have sinned. This is not talking about before they got saved. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and that truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us or cancel our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is he saying? If you sin, you can't say, nope, I didn't sin. You're a liar. You did just sin. Right? But he says, if you confess... 
God's faithful and just to forgive you, to cancel out, and to cleanse you. Confessing is judging yourself. So you mess up, did whatever you did. Stop on the spot, judge yourself. God, that was wrong. I sinned. I messed up. Call that sin by what it is. Don't make an excuse. Don't say, well, you really knew my heart. Don't make an excuse for your sin. Just say, you sinned. This was wrong. Father, I ask because of the blood of Jesus, because of your love for me, that you forgive me. You're faithful and just to forgive me. So I receive my cleansing from all unrighteousness. When you cleanse unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. You just judge yourself. And if you do that, you will not be. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. Just because you have a way out doesn't mean you sin all you want. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. The word advocate means one who pleads your case. Right now in heaven, you have somebody pleading your case even when you mess up and you knew better. Your sin has been dealt with. If you sin, judge yourself. Don't make excuses. Call it what it is. Judge yourself, ask for forgiveness, and move on. If you do this, you will not be judged by God. This is true repentance, judging yourself and turning from it. But remember, he said he sent Jesus not just for our forgiveness of sin, but so that we could live through him. We had to live through him knowing we have an advocate in heaven. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. So one is pleading our case. That's what an advocate means, right? We already said that Jesus was raised again for our justification or for our acquittal. So our advocate Jesus in heaven is screaming one thing, not guilty. So when you come up, because you have standing, that's why you have access to come confess your sins. You come up to your place. I messed up. I asked for forgiveness. Jesus is yelling, not guilty. Satan is the accuser. He's accusing you all day long. Jesus is saying, not guilty. He's your advocate. He's pleading your case. But there's also something else in heaven going on. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. And almost all things by the law purged with blood, because without the shedding of blood there is no remission. So how did he cleanse or purge or make ready for use in the temple all the things that they made. They sprinkled it with blood. This is what happened when Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness. Why is that important? It was therefore necessary that the patterns of these things in heaven should be purified with these. There is a heavenly tabernacle. There is a heavenly temple. What Moses built was the pattern, you read the, uh, the law, that God gave him. In our Sunday school minds, we think Moses sat on a mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, right? That's what we think. He's in the glory cloud. He's on the mountain. We think he's on the mountain. When you read some of the Hebrew scholars' commentary, they said that God, Moses, God took Moses to heaven. And that's how he showed him the pattern. See, the word Jerusalem 
In Hebrew, it's Yerushalayim. The I'm in Hebrew always means plural. So when they refer to Jerusalem, they're referring to Jerusalem below and Jerusalem above. And so when he built the tabernacle, he was mirroring below what God put above. Because always, God always wants to bring heaven to earth. And so just like Moses purified the things on the earth, there had to be something applied to those things that are in heaven. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrificed than these. Why do you have to purify something in heaven? When Adam sinned, his sin didn't just affect him or the earth. It affected heaven too. And went up to not including the throne of God. Why? Because Adam's position was before God. So everywhere Adam had position and authority, his sin affected it. And something had to be done about the sin. So there were things in heaven that had to be cleansed. And so what happened? For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear into the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This great high priest who is our advocate, Jesus who's speaking on our behalf, went into the presence of God and offered his blood as an atoning sacrifice. But he also sprinkled his blood in heaven, purifying everything that's there. Because a lot of times we think of heaven, we think of a throne, but heaven has much more than just a throne. We already know it has residences. We know that's where we live. But it has more things going on than just, that's my heavenly retirement spot. There's more that happens in heaven on a daily basis than we ever imagine. You got to think by now, there are billions of people there. And they're not just sitting around on clouds with, ho- clouds with harps waiting for you to get there. There's activity going on in heaven. There are storerooms and reserve places for you that are in heaven. Not for you to use when you get there, but so you can have access to them on the earth. But you can never enter your heavenly ministry if you always think God's trying to kill you. If you always think when I go before God, he's going to zap me, you're not going to be effective in your heavenly ministry. So when you go before God, you have an advocate yelling you're not guilty. But also when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, let's go there, Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it's verse 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. What does it say? And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. When Cain murdered his brother Abel, God came to Cain and says, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth. Not only is Jesus in heaven being your advocate, the blood is talking. We might not, we won't get into this tonight, but there's a witness of the blood in the earth. So the blood is talking for you on this planet as well. But the blood that was sprinkled in heaven is declaring your innocence. So you're not walking up into a throne room where God is just looking for a reason to zap you. 
You're walking into a throne room. God's looking for a reason to get, away, get rid of all your sin. Different mindset. Remember, God put things in heaven as reminders, as remembrances. Remember? The rainbow around the throne is a reminder of his covenant. God likes to put things around him that reminds him of things he said. He never forgets it, but he likes doing that. So there's blood in heaven that reminds him, you're not guilty. There's blood in heaven that reminds him, you're acquitted. There's blood in heaven that reminds him, your sin is not yours. See, God doesn't send people to hell. God sent one man to hell, and his name was Jesus. People send themselves to hell all the time. But it's not from God. He has things in heaven reminding you, as soon as they come in and confess their sins, as soon as they come and judge themselves, they will not be judged. So what does that mean we should do? Go to Hebrews 4. And God did all these things because of his extravagant love for us. Now we know we have an advocate. Now we know blood has been sprinkled. What should that motivate us to do? Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing that we have, verse 14, a great high priest, that's Jesus, our advocate, that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, why? Because we have an advocate. Because we have a great high priest that's offered his eternal sacrifice. Because we've been declared not guilty. Because we've been justified. Because we've been made righteous. Come boldly unto the throne of grace. You're not supposed to come to God, oh, maybe he'll hear me today. You're supposed to come with confidence. You're supposed to come knowing who you are in Christ. You're supposed to come knowing that there's blood around you saying you're not guilty. Even if you messed up. What are you supposed to come for? That you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So if you're in a situation because of your own mistakes or because of what others have done, you can come to the throne of God and get help, get grace, get mercy because there's blood that's made a way for you. You read throughout the book of Hebrews, it says the blood has made a way. It gave you access to the throne of God. The high priest in the Old Testament could only go into the Holy of Holies once, but he didn't have confidence. They would tie a rope with a bell around his ankle. Why? Every time they heard that bell, they know he was alive. If the bell stopped ringing, they know he had sin and he had died. So they would use the rope and pull him out. That is not confidence. Although I'm sure it was a great honor to go into the Holy of Holies, that was probably the most scary day of his life. Will I come back out? I think I did everything right. I think I did everything right. Did I do everything right walking up those stairs? Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? About to go through that curtain. Ooh, I hope I did it. There's no confidence there because it's all by works. It's all about what you could do. You could have tried to do everything right, but you could have missed something. There are so many laws in that law. There's so many things you may have done right, but I might have missed something. I might die if I walk through this curtain. There's no confidence there. There's no boldness there. But now, under a better covenant, with better promises as Hebrew teaches us, you don't have to tiptoe going, whew, I wonder if I'm going to survive. You walk in, 
because you belong there. You realize there's an advocate saying you're not guilty. You realize there's blood saying it washed away all your sins. And so you go before him and you can ask for what you need. Obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. But that's not the only thing you're supposed to do before God. Go to Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. He did this because he loved you. It wasn't just he dealt with your sin so you can go to heaven when you die. It's so much more than that. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ unto who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kings, when they go to the throne room, they sit down, right? Everyone else is standing. The only other people that can take a seat have to be royalty, right? Ephesians 2, verse 6 says he seated you with Christ. When you come into the throne of God, don't come like a pauper. Don't come like a mere citizen. Don't come with just some government official. Come and take your seat because you have a seat on the throne. Jesus didn't just come to wash away your sins. He came to give you a seat. But he says you're also a priest. When a priest would come into the temple, come before God, they came to do ministry. They came with an assignment. Not only did he make you a king, he made you a priest. So you have a heavenly ministry. You have a heavenly assignment. You have a heavenly responsibility. So when you go to prayer, you're going to get some work done. Not because you're thinking, ooh, God might zap me. Nope, that's already settled. Now I'm standing in the gap from the people who really might get zapped. There's some things on the earth that need to be taken care of. Who's going to handle it? It must be me. So I must go before him and say, hey, God, this is what's going on. But your word says, and I believe with this situation to turn, you have a heavenly ministry. You have a heavenly assignment. There are things you can do at the throne of God that no one else can do if they still think that they're under the judgment of God. People who would get this revelation, some even 100 years ago, would just slip into and say things that you think, oh, how would you dare say things? Like Charles Finney, he would pray strange ways. God, you don't think we ain't going to have an awakening, are you? You don't think we're not going to have a revival? Who prays that way? Someone who knows their place. Abraham prayed that way. He says, you're the judge of all the earth. Won't you do right? Excuse me? He knew his place. We talked about maybe last week or two weeks ago. God brought to Abraham that judgment's coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just so he had some information, but so Abraham could do something about it. Because Abraham knew the character of God, that God doesn't delight in judging the wicked, that he wants them to live. And so Abraham pleaded the case of a wicked twin metro city area. This is 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. There's got to be 10 people in the twin metro area and all the small cities. So he stopped. 
if Abraham kept going, judgment never would have came. Because Abraham was used in his heavenly ministry. People talk, oh, yeah, judgment's falling all around the earth. Well, whose fault is that? If we would take our place, we could hold things off. A couple years ago, Sister Billy came and talked about how we can stop school shootings. It doesn't have to happen in our community. It doesn't have to happen in our city if you take your place. Yes, it's natural things to do, but those natural things won't work if you don't do the spiritual things. And there's other things going on in the nation at that time. And Sister Billy, at the end of her message, she really stepped over to the office of the prophet. And there are things on my heart concerning different shootings that are going on in the nation. Innocent men being shot down. And she pointed at me. She talked about the heavenly ministry. If you take your place, it won't happen here. So one of the things I pray for, I take my place. That is not going to happen here. I'm taking my place. I know I have authority in this community, in this area, granted by God. We all do. You have authority in your neighborhood. You have influence in your neighborhood, not just because you live there, but in heaven. You have to go before the throne of God and plead your case for your community. Plead your case for your neighbor. Stand there and say, God, they don't know you. But I need you to turn this around for them. And do it because you love me. And I know you love them. But you have to have this mentality that God's not judging you because you already judge yourself. You have to have this mentality that you're not guilty. You have to have this mentality that the blood of Jesus actually works. It's not just enough to sing about the blood. We must believe that the blood did its job. That's why we can come before God and ask for what we want to happen based on the word of God that's going to happen. So many things happen in the earth because the church doesn't take its place. And they don't take their place, some because they don't know it, and some because they don't think they're worthy. Or they don't think God will hear them. Because they still think, well, I messed up 10 years ago. Why would he listen to me? Or maybe if so-and-so prays, it'll happen. Yeah, I'm sure it happens if so-and-so prays, but that's because they know who they are. That's because they have a relationship. That's because they know the blood works. Go to 1 John chapter 3. We might close here. It's what the blood did to you because Jesus loved you. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. Remember, we said John had access to Revelation last week because he really believed that God loved him. So he had insight other people didn't have. But notice this interesting thing, verse 1, 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Sons of God speaks to maturity. It says the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. It also says in Romans 8 that the whole world's waiting for the revealing of the manifestation of the sons of God. Sons of God walk in authority. Sons of God walk in power. The whole world's waiting for the sons of God to stand up. And so he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Why? God loved us. He made us his sons. For as many that believe in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become the sons of God. John chapter 1. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. We're the sons of God right now 
But all go all the time. God's transforming us into more. Remember, faith to faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. Sons of God, that's how you started out. That's what he gave you right to be as soon as you believed. But that's not where you're going to end up. John, even with his revelation, you know what? He's like, it's not even clear what we're going to be. But we know when we see him, we're going to look just like him. So there's a process that's been going on since the church was birthed in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. God's trying to take us to a certain place. There's so many things that's about who we are right now that we must pick up on because time's running out, time's running short. Do you know what would be one of the worst things in eternity to learn what we could have done and what we could have had while we're on the earth? Things we could have changed, things we could have moved around if we realized who we are and what God was doing in us. One of the things the Lord told me years ago was an experience where in worship, I was still in Round Rock, Texas. I was worshiping, and he showed me this vision. And I was in a conversation with an angel, and I was talking about what I saw. And the Lord said, if believers walked in the fullness of their redemption, the uninformed will mistake them for the risen Messiah. You can get to such a place where you walk with God, you'll walk by someone they got to do a double take. Because they're not sure if it was you or Jesus. That's how far the blood goes. That's how far your redemption goes. Because when you see him, you're going to look like him. That's how far the blood goes. It didn't just wash away your sins. It took you from a low place, gave you a seat on the throne of God, and made you look like him. You know, people usually give favor to people that look like them. You look like me. Oh, I can relate. You look like Jesus. You look like your heavenly father. He's prone to show favor to you. The more you spend time with him, the more you look like him. How much you look like him is not up to him. It's up to you. All these things have been made available because he loves you. The more you spend time with him, the more you sound like him. The more you act like him. It's not up to Jesus. It's up to you. The love of God has made all these things available. But you have to access them. And the power is in consistency. It's not accessing them on one day or for one week. It's living there. It's doing these things consistently. It's having this mentality all the time. He loves me. And all the time, i got to stand in the gap. Father, I need you to help this situation. You can be driving. You see someone on the road. You know something's not right. Father, you start praying for them. You may never see them again. You may not think of them again. Don't think your prayer didn't work. It did. But you got to take your place and stay there. You can prevent things from happening. And if things must happen, you can lessen its impact. There are some things that are coming because people have made decisions, sowed seed, harvest, which is another word for judgment, is coming. 
But if you take your place, you can hold it back or hold back the intensity of it. Or it may hit all around you and not affect you. And then you're left there to help everyone else get back together. But you must take your place. The place that love prepared for you. The place love prepared because love bled for you. Don't just say, well, I'm forgiven. Now I'm forgiven and now I got a job. I'm forgiven, now I got a place. I'm forgiven, now I have an assignment. I'm forgiven, now I have an authority. And you must use it. You must use it consistently. You must plead the blood. What does it mean, plead the blood? You open your mouth and you speak about the blood. What is it doing in your life? It's protecting you. What is it doing in your life? It's delivering you. What is it doing? It's washing away sin. What is it doing? It's forgiving. What is it doing? It's healing. But you have to be in that place every day. Don't let a day pass. Take your place. You're like, well, I, I'm new. I, I don't know how to take my place. You start taking your place, you'll learn. Because there's some things, you know, I've been around prayer warriors, Billy Brim, Lynn Hammond, others. And they'll start talking about things. If you've never been a person of prayer, you will be so lost. What in the world are they talking about? Well, that's because people haven't walked on that level. But you get around them and start praying around them, stuff starts happening. Supernatural things start taking place. One of the things about Lynn Hammond, I was, me and Lady Raquel had the honor of valeting her when we lived in Texas. And so we had met before, and so we knew certain people, and she was asking, you know, how we were doing and everything. And so we're driving. Austin area and parts of Texas had been in a drought. And then in that year and the year before, there's been a lot of fires. It burned up areas. It was a natural disaster in some places. And so we're driving down the highway, and there's still a fire on the side of the road. This has become normal. You see a fire here, see a fire there. It's just what it is. We haven't had rain. And so she says, so you guys have been in a drought. And, and I made the, you know, faith one-on-one mistake. Well, yeah, we hope that it rains soon. You know, I didn't think of it. It just kind of came out. I knew better to say something like that, but it just came out. And so Sister Lynn's in the back seat, all sweet. We don't hope. We believe. And she bows her head. I'm just driving. 30 seconds later, it starts raining. Raquel, do you see this? We've been praying for months. Look. We're driving. It rains all night. It rains the next day. What happened? He got around people who knew how to pray. They knew how to shift things. There are things you can shift in the atmosphere. Not because you're some super spiritual prophet, just because you know he loves you. You know how to use your faith. You know how to go before God. Whatever you practice, you're going to perfect. So you have to keep practicing your heavenly ministry. Yeah, you're going to mess up. Yeah, you're going to miss it. You're not guilty. Keep going. Keep working from that place. Keep pushing from that place. Things have to change. There are things that will never happen if the church doesn't pray. Charles Finney, powerful man of God, powerful preacher. He was a man of prayer. 100,000 people got saved in one city he preached in. Started part of the second great awakening. But it wasn't just him preaching and praying that made the difference. There was a man named Father Nash. Who, long story short, when he rededicated his life, he gave his life to prayer. And so he acted like Charles Finney's secret service. 
Whatever city he was going to next, he would go ahead of him, maybe a week ahead of time, a few days ahead of time, and he'd just pray. This is before Azusa Street. This is in the 1800s. He just began to pray. People thought something was wrong with him because they would go up, knock on the door and ask, you know, are you hungry? Do you want to eat? And they would hear him making these weird noises. They hear these strange sounds. It says, oh, we think he's sick. He's laying on the ground. He's, what is he doing? Charles Finney says, leave him alone. He's travailing for the lost. They're like, what is travailing for the lost? But then, you know, when he was done, people got saved. The hardest cases would be one. And it was interesting. After Father Nash died and went to heaven, Charles Finney stopped traveling and preaching. He went and became a professor, started colleges, did different things. But things happen because... That man prayed. Prayed heaven and earth to go. There are things that happen because people pray. You know, last week we celebrated the life of Billy Graham. Think about how powerful his ministry was. How many people are in heaven because he said yes to Jesus? Think about his reward. But think about this. Someone prayed so he could be born. Think about their reward. Billy Graham got saved when he was 16 in this revival meeting. The, that man who preached got saved in another revival meeting. But that man who preached in the revival meeting before, he got saved because he went to the store and needed shoes. And there was this man who's a shoemaker, loved God, loved Jesus, wanted to win people for loss, but no one ever accepted when he would talk to them. But one day this young kid did, and he became a preacher. And because of his faithfulness, someone else got saved. And because of his faithfulness, Billy Graham got saved. People pray so those men could live. Because when there's a problem on the earth, people pray God causes a baby to be born. So it's not just those men and those women who get credit once they get to heaven. It's other people who prayed. They get credit too. You may not even see, well, I prayed about this. Well, what happened? Things have happened for years and decades. I remember one of the time when working with Bishop for a long time when he would start different churches. He'd be starting them in random cities. I'm like, why are you here in this area? And then we meet this person who went to Word of Faith 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And they, whatever reason, had to move across country. And so they began to pray. God opened up another church like the one I had at home. And that's what they prayed. And all of a sudden, we get to the city like, oh, you the reason we're here. There was another lady I remember Dad Hagen talking about. This is when, not too long after Azusa, and she needed, she's like, there needs to be more spirit-filled churches. So this is in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, around there. So she began to pray. And she wanted a whole region of Texas to have one. So she prayed until every city had one. She would pray them in. She took her place. What can you do? How much more revelation do you have now than she did 80 years ago? Things can change in your community if you take your place. I remember Lynn Hannon was talking to one of her spiritual daughters. And they said she was crying to her one day. Well, this false religion building is building, being built in my neighborhood. She said, well, whose fault is that? She said, you could have stopped it before they built it. Now it's harder to remove because it's there. You have so much power. You have so much authority. You just never tapped into it. But you're tapping into your heavenly ministry once you start believing how much God loves you. Once you start believing what the blood did. Because then you get to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. The love of God compels us. Right now you've meditated on the love of God. Now you're compelled to make a difference. Make a difference. But remember, it's not just natural things. 
spiritual things have to precede the natural things. There has to be work done in heaven so you can have a result on earth. You know, one of the things I'm believing as we move into a new community, I'm believing for more people saved. Not just people rededicating lives, that's good. Not just people moving to the area and coming to church, that's good too. I want the lost. I want the heathen. I want the people who said nothing's going to ever happen to their lives. And we're going to get them. But one of the days coming up soon, we're going to have a prayer night just for them. Because before we start these endeavors, we've got to do some work in prayer. We've got to move some things out the way. We have to prepare their hearts in prayer. Because what happens is they live in darkness, and all of a sudden that darkness disappears. And they don't know all of a sudden it makes sense that Jesus is Lord. What happens? Someone pray that darkness away. That's what you can be for your family members if you take your place in prayer consistently. But you got to stay there. Never give up. Never surrender. Keep your place in prayer. I'll cut it off here. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Go ahead and lift your hands. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I ask that you forgive us for not taking our place like we should, for forsaking our heavenly ministry, for forsaking our heavenly assignment. Forgive us, renew us, and help us fulfill our ministry in the heavenlies so what you want to happen on this earth can come to pass because we're partners with you. We're in fellowship, partnership with you, as First John has declared unto us. We thank you for what the blood did in our lives. We thank you it did it because you loved us. We love you because you first loved us. Hallelujah to Jesus. Blessed be his name. So take your place, and I'll move like you want me to move. Don't just think the moves of my spirit happened just because I picked a sovereign day. There are things that happened because men and women stood up and prayed. If you take your place before me every day, you'll see things change for your way. You'll see things change for your good because now you've understood all the things I made available for you. But you must take your place. Stop waiting on me. Go before me and make your case. And when you do on a consistent basis, you'll see through and through my power move through you, power move for you, and thing manifest for your good. So don't forget your heavenly spot. Don't forget your heavenly place. Come before me every day and make your case, and you'll see amazing things happen for you, and things change in a way that's better than what you dreamed, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, glory to Jesus. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost a moment. Endresto, endresto, endresto. Ganglish de da bahtlistora mahanglish de badrostutaka. Grant us greater authority in Nostel, sir. Grant us greater authority in the 10 mile window. Yeah, we should be praying before that for more. Forgive us for not doing it. Grant us greater authority in Cobb County. Mangila la posturi pequena. Sendristu. Sendrostu. 
sendrosto jelenaga glisto mahalesta dalaba brosta 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 nothing will hinder us nothing will hinder us nothing will keep us back this will all come to pass gebra bahaha stoka 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 sandeko 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 that there be a mango in the mighty name of Jesus oh glory to God Marvelous, 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 marvelous things will happen. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous things will take place. For where you make much of the blood, I can make much of you. Where you take your place and plead the blood, you'll see my spirit move through and through. So you're looking for the amazing, you're looking for the miraculous, you're looking for the marvelous. Take your place. Step up before me. Do your spiritual job consistently, and then you'll see the things you're looking for. You'll see more miracles, signs, and wonders than you ever thought possible. You'll see breakthrough here, breakthrough there. Nothing will be too hard for you. But you got to take your place every day. You have to take your place and say, the blood has made a way. And so I come before you, Father, today, and this is what I pray for. This is what I ask for. This is what I want to happen on the earth. And as you do that, that's what will come to pass. But don't just lay, oh, listen to another message. Nope, obey the message. Do what I say, and you'll see my glory make a way. Hallelujah. Glory to God. No glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Where there's much work to be done in the spirit, says God. There's much work to be done in prayer. Where this congregation is concerned, there's much work for you to do in the spirit before you see it done in the natural. And it's not just when you come together and pray as a family, come together and pray as a church, but it's you individually taking your place every day before me and praying for this church and praying for the purpose of this ministry and praying out the plan of God on the earth. So take your place every day. Take your place and pray. Do the work in the Spirit, and it shall all come to pass at last. Everything that people said would not happen will come to pass. Everything I said over the years that would happen is going to happen, but you must take your place. 
You must pray. You must pray things in. You must pray things through. You must not stop praying until it happens and manifests before you. So take your place every day. Pray for this church. Pray for this ministry. Not just the pastor. Not just the ministers. Every single person who calls faith their home must take their place and pray. And as you'll do, you'll see amazing things happen for you, happen for this church. And everything I said will come to pass. And it will be wonderful. It will be grand and always remember, and yes, the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.